1 Kings 21. Does he know what time it is? You used to just be getting started. I bring honor to the man and woman of God of this house. Can you help me celebrate two of the choicest leaders in the kingdom? Amanda and Aaron Crabb. I love you as kingdom family, honor you with all of my heart. I will do anything to serve the vision God has given you and I'm thankful to be connected to you in ministry and life. To Pastor Barb and Bishop Joseph Garlington. Greater generals have not walked this earth than you two. And I rise and I call you blessed. You are so precious to me and my wife. Pastor Barb, you would never know she just celebrated 85 years of living. I'm not supposed to tell that, but nobody thought you were a day over 50 and I wanted them to know what grace looks like. Somebody give God praise for Pastor Barb and Bishop Joseph Garlington. We honor these mothers and fathers in Israel. Somebody say yes. Pastor Greg and Gretchen, you know my love for you. I'm thankful to be in kingdom family. I'm not being egotistical, neither am I being arrogant when I say this, but I just, I just wouldn't leave my family to go anywhere because the beach I'm on is a very nice beach. And it's been 88 degrees with no clouds in the sky. I've been singing Aruba, Jamaica, but... We won't sing that tonight. But there's been a grace on Kokomo for the last few weeks. I want to preach the word of the Lord tonight. It won't take me very long to get this out. But I want to tell you tonight that we're not in times where we can play. The people of God need the word of the Lord in their belly in this hour. And I want to hear what God is saying and the Lord has been whispering and what he has whispered to me I now proclaim with freedom to you tonight. From the 21st chapter of the book of 1 Kings our eyes fall upon the text and it reads thus. Let's read this together. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard. Say vineyard. The vineyard was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Oh, hold on a minute. Where are all my people at over here? Where are my students and sons and daughters? Come on. I saw y'all getting your praise on. I said, I miss my babies. I'm so glad to be with them. Pastor Tobin and Pastor Jojo and Pastor Tori. Come on, let's give God thanks for the RTTN family. Yeah. It's my peoples. I'm going to give me some hugs before I get back on that plane. Hallelujah. Let's, read, let's resume reading the precious word of God. Verse 2. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, Give me your vineyard, say vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near and next to my house and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and he would eat no food. But Jezreel. Yeah, I feel like we're getting ready to do something with that. Look at your neighbor say, but Jezebel. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I have spoken to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money. Or else, I, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard. But Naboth answered me and said, I will not give you my vineyard. Look at your neighbor. Look over at your Presbyterian neighbor, your Baptist neighbor, your Pentecostal. I don't care what kind of neighbor it is. Look over at both neighbors. Tell them first, 
the one on the left then the next one the one on the right tell both neighbors say this vineyard is not for sale come on reach over tell that other neighbor this vineyard is not for sale would you stretch your hand toward me and pray for me and i will stretch mine out over you and pray for you father i pray now for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of jesus to rest upon these people i pray tonight with the sword of the spirit you would give me the grace the anointing the love and the compassion yet the fire and the passion to wield the sword of the spirit and cut asunder joint marrow discerning thoughts and intents of the heart like a hot knife in butter cut through the strongholds i pray tonight as mike said minds would be renewed but not just renewed according to the pattern of this world but renewed according to the word of god i thank you for the quickening of the holy ghost I pray that he would make much ado of Jesus tonight, that I would decrease and that you would increase. For at the entrance of thy word, there is life. I rebuke death spirits all over this building. I bind spirits of death, assignments of heaviness. I break now with the authority of Christ's name. Spirits of weariness, spirits of fatigue. I come against spirits that have brought bewilderment and confusion and distraction to the minds of men and women. I pray tonight that such a weight of the King of glory would sit on this house that you pull our minds from every distracted place so that our eyes gaze upon the one with feet like brass eyes like fire hair as white as wool and may we hear the voice that sounds like the voice of many waters when we leave this place i pray we would not be talking about the music we would not be talking about a sermon may we leave this place walk to our car unpack our family walk into our bedroom lay our head down and say thank you god that tonight Jesus walked in the room. I pray you walk down every aisle. I pray you walk up every pew. I pray you chase out every demon. I pray you break every stronghold. I pray right now that you do something in this building that becomes an epicenter for a region, that a region would shake up under the power of God. I pray tonight you will shake it, shake it like a rug. Shake it till the dirt comes out. Shake it and rearrange the whole thing. Turn it upside down. Let Nashville quake under the glory of the living God, we pray. All of 65, north and south, 24, east and west. Let God arise. Let every enemy be scattered. In Jesus' name. And the family said, Amen. Please be seated. Look at somebody tell them, you better get interested. Get interested in this. As of March this year, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of ministry. And our church, thank you, I love you all, thank you. I, I, I am grateful for our church. Our church was so kind and generous. They sent us on a one-month sabbatical to rest and be refreshed, to get focused for what we believe is going to be a glorious future. You would think after 20 years, and I sit as just a rookie uh, in some circles because I am surrounded by great men like Bishop Garlington who's been doing this for decades. Uh-huh. And you would think after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of ministry, you would think that, you know, you somehow assume perhaps that preachers arrive at a place where they are no longer the student, but they are the teacher. They are no longer the learner, but they are the one who showed the way. The reality of it is the complexities of the generation in which we are ministering, they come without a manual. They come without a how-to manual. You, I know we have the Bible, but sometimes we have to make a connection between what the Word says and how it applies in these layered complexities of our generation. I find myself, even after 20 years, still being a student. I'm a learner. I'm still discovering what God is doing and what God is saying. I'm still discovering the blueprints for which 
uh, God is calling us to lead this generation. We, we can never assume we've arrived. In fact, the greatest danger to you becoming everything God wanted you to become and wants you to become is for you to act like you're already there. How in the world would God, who is the, listen, the Bible calls him the God who is to come. Do you recognize that in Revelation chapter 4, he is the God who the angels declare, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. That is not in earth. That is going on in heaven. In heaven, angels are declaring he is the God that was, the God that is, and the God that is to come. And if he is the God who is to come, even in heaven when we get to heaven and see him, he's not just finished. The revelation of who he is will be unfolding throughout all eternity. That's why eternity has no end. Because if you ever put an end on eternity, it will cease to be the vehicle that reveals the glory and the totality of who God is. Because every time you circle the throne and take another revolution, it produces fresh revelation of who this God of glory really is. My point is this. If God is the God who was, is, and is to come, why do we in the church sometimes act like we are just the Kevin who was or the Kevin who is what about the Kevin who is to come Y'all missing what I'm saying. Y'all missing. I I'm telling you that if God lives in you and his glory is unfolding, some of you need to stop being satisfied with the version of you that was 30 years ago. You some of y'all need to get a new mascara color. Some of y'all need to get a new pair of tennis shoes. Some of y'all need to wake yourself up and say, I'm not going to stay stuck in who I was. If he's the God who is to come, he is downloading a fresh version of me. I refuse to be an older version of me stuck in a day that demands a fresh anointing coming out of my life. Am I making sense? And I'm still learning. I'm still discovering. And so since I'm learning and discovering and I am continually being downloaded with fresh revelation. And, and, and you know, this could easily be understood, I suppose, if you look at your iPhone. How, how many know you don't have an iPhone 3 anymore? Yeah, I do. No, you a hillbilly if you got an iPhone 3. It don't even work no more. All right. Even your iPhone 12 has to have an update every now. Y'all missing what I'm saying. Your phone will get bugs and it will stop working and it will slow down if you don't download the latest version. Y'all not talking to me. I'm trying to help you understand you need to get unstuck tonight because the generation you're living in is demanding not the old oil but the fresh oil on our lives. I'm still learning. I'm still discovering. Which makes me appreciate when God simplifies something and makes it very easily known. I have come to appreciate when God removes the complexity and reveals with such succinct, pointed clarity. I, I have learned how to cherish those things. Because he takes the guesswork out and he reveals something with such clarity that only a fool could mess it up. Those situations are few and far between, but I am absolutely convinced of this. That when it comes to identity in the church, God made it abundantly clear in the word of God that we are to be people of the wine. Is he talking about alcohol? No, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about alcohol. I don't drink alcohol. You do whatever you want to do, but the Wallaces don't drink alcohol. And the reason I don't drink alcohol is because sons and daughters are watching me and I'm not taking nobody to hell or lead nobody to hell. But I believe in moderation. You do what you want, moderation. As for me and my house, we not drinking, bud, and we sure ain't drinking it to get no wiser.
I done come all the way up here. I'm going to preach this thing. Y'all can look at me funny if you want to, but I'm going to preach it all from A to Z. We are called to be people of the wine. New wine. Mm -hmm, I'm going to give you some Bible. You, you should have known that we are called to be people of the wine. The Bible is clear. From the Old Testament to the New Covenant, we are called to be people of the wine. I am concerned that we have attempted to come into a day in the church where we are trying to figure out how do we become understandable and relevant to a culture who is crying out for the genuine, authentic glory even the unexplainable at times, the unexplainable power that causes us to leave a church service like this. And sometimes we have more questions than answers. We should know by now that we are called to be people of the wine. How so? Do you understand that in Numbers chapter 13 when God sent 12 spies into the promised land the Bible says that 12 went in and they came into the promised land and when they come out of the promised land there were 12 spies and there was a cluster of what? Grapes. Touch your neighbor tell them we're people of the wine. The promised land that God was taking them to was not a land that was domesticated. It was not a land that like they had ever lived in before. For 400 years they had lived in Egypt. They had lived in slavery. They had lived in bondage. They had lived in oppression. They had lived in depression. And God said the land I'm getting ready to take you to is not like the land I just brought you out of. I'm taking you into a land with milk and honey and fact I want you to send 12 spies into the land and I want you to tell me what you find and when they came out of the, the promised land the 12 spies found a cluster of grapes that were so juicy and so lavish that they draped the cluster over a stick and it took two men to carry it out God is not just about to bless you but everybody connected to you is about to taste the wine I am trying to tell you if you're living in heaviness oppression deep depression, suicidal thoughts struggling all of your life you need to tell the demon of religion to get under your feet if the sun makes you free you are free indeed we should have known we're called to be people of the wine the first miracle of Jesus is that he went to Cana standing there as an innocent bystander at a wedding and suddenly they have a panic attack because the wedding runs out of wine. You can't have a good wedding without the wine. Intimacy doesn't, come on here, see this with me. Covenant is not wrought when wine is absent. You can't even finish the wedding. Y'all missing what I'm talking about. You can't even, look at your neighbor and tell them, get interested, get interested, get interested in this. You can't even finish the wedding until you get a replacement and a refreshing of wine. We're called to be people of the wine. We should have known that God was calling us to be people of wine. Because when the church was birthed, it wasn't a bunch of pompous, proud theologians who pranced out of the theological seminary in all of their robes and all of their garb, speaking of the deep things of theological premise. Oh no, when the church was birthed, it wasn't about, about how the many degrees. I'm not against education. The Bible never put a premium on ignorance. But I'm telling you, sometimes we think the people who have all the answers are the people who are absolutely, have absolutely no clue what they are talking about. The men through whom the church was birthed were not men who knew stuff. They are men who knew Jesus. They took note of them that they were unlearned men but that they had been with Christ and when the church was born it was not born with all of the structural uh, architects that brought in their administrative strategies and taught us the deep ways of developing a growing church. Oh no! It was 120 who bounced out of an upper room and they had a flame on their head 
had a tongue in their mouth because a wind had swept through the room and when they come out into the streets of the city they were not talking about being cosmopolitan they were speaking in unknown tongues and they looked like a bunch of drunk men and that's why the apostle Peter had to stand up and say hey these men are not drunk like you suppose being it but the third hour of the day but this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel that in the last day I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh slap three people tell them we are people of the wine I don't know if I am I'm I am totally over maybe it's just because I'm on sabbatical and my wick is very short but I am totally over the people who think they actually have been called to explain God to lost humanity what an embarrassment that we need man to tell man about God I'm called to preach and give revelation but at the end of the day God is so big the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof if your microphone stops working and your crowd leaves if they don't give you a bishopric and they don't give you a ministerial file number if you don't have a preacher that preaches I want you to know that Paul told the church of Rome you can walk out open your eyes and look at creation and see the revelation of an awesome God what are you saying bishop I'm telling you that I can't tell you how awesome he is but he will show you just how good he is he will reveal himself here's the real here's the real problem I gotta calm down I'm on sabbatical I haven't preached in three weeks I feel like my head is going to explode I had to get out of the house here's the problem we want to explain God. And while we can help people process their encounter, we have never been called to explain away what was given to cause people to question. It's okay if you go to your car tonight saying, what meaneth this? We don't like that in Pentecostal churches. We want to tell everybody what God's doing. Can I walk around? Can you turn these lights up? It's too dark for me. I'm getting a complex. Turn the lights up. No, we're not sleeping on Friday night. We're coming into breakthrough. We're about to have a drink fest. We're about to have a drink fest. Did you hear what I thank you? We're about to have a drink fest. I want a drink of living water. I want a drink of new wine. I don't want to leave sober. I want to leave inebriated under the glory of God. And I want to walk to my car saying, what just happened? Sit down. Please. Kindly, please. Leave the lights on. I like it. Do you understand how many times in the Gospels people encountered Jesus and they left with wonder? They said things like this. What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They said things like this. We've never heard these words before. He spoke like a man with authority, which means every other sermon they heard taught had no authority. And when they encountered somebody with authority, it shook them out of their religion. And they started saying, I don't know what I'm living in, but whatever I'm living in don't have any of that. And I'm tired of this. I want that. And they started leaving their religion and following Jesus. I want to make a statement. We are people of the wine. What does that mean, Bishop? It means that sometimes your neighbor is going to respond to glory 
in ways that may make you think, what is wrong with them? But this is interesting. I've never seen a drunk person in a bar be criticized when they have too many drinks and people look at them and say, I can't believe they're acting like that. How dare them drunk people slobbering and fumbling around. You know, when people get drunk with alcohol, they love everybody. I went to a football game at the Tennessee Volunteer Stadium a few years ago. I sat, but where are you at? My God, you haven't shouted all service and you just shouted. There's something wrong. Hallelujah. I sat between two men I've never met before in my life. When we kicked the field goal and beat Florida, two drunk men who had had 10 beers each hugged me. I love you, man. I didn't even know them. The reason why some of you are so hateful is you hadn't had a drink in a while. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, they don't look like me. You need to have another drink and you'll stop focusing on what's different about you and you'll start thanking God to be a part of the same kingdom, serving the same king. Slap your neighbor, tell them we're people of wine. Okay. If you don't love everybody when you get... You've never been drunk. Most of you never been drunk. You've been churchy your whole life. Anybody in here was a drunk before Jesus saved you? Getting drunk, you either, some of you are so nervous right now. You're like, this is making me so uncomfortable. If when you got drunk, you didn't love everybody, the other opposite effect is you wanted to fight. Some of you are getting your tail kicked by the devil tonight and what you need to do is get another drink and you need to walk up in the face of your enemy and you need to say you came to me with a spirit of sword but I'm going to take another drink of new wine and come to you in the name of the Lord. Slap your neighbor, tell him, take another drink. You lost your fight, but the wine's about to put the fight back in you. You lost your zeal, but the wine is about to put your zeal back in you. Some of you lost your praise, but you're about to get your praise back. I feel a wind of the Spirit coming in this room. It's about to make you interested. I am so far away from my notes. We are people of the wine. When the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was, this is that. I heard an old preacher tell me one time, Pastor Danny, if this ain't that, I'll take this till that gets here. Come on. I wish you could see the looks on some of your faces right now. <laughs> there are two things I'm seeing right now. Big smiles and horrible frowns. <laughs> and it looks like this. there's a group like. And there's another group like this. I don't know about that. <laughs> Mabel, get the car warmed up. He's talking about crazy stuff. If you get a drink of wine, your grandchildren who hate God will run back to church and they'll want the God you serve. You can't keep giving them religion and wonder why they don't want God. They're tired of religion. They want a drink of wine. Well, I would never act like that. You better be careful. I would never dance. If I do, you know it's God. If you do, it's going to be a miracle. 
Sit down for a minute. We're just easing into this. I was raised in a winery. I was raised in a spiritual winery. We didn't have all the latest bells and whistles. We didn't have screens. We didn't have lights. We had ceiling fans over the baptistry and a painted dove with mauve walls and country blues. Oh, Lord, have mercy. We had home interior pictures in the lobby. Sold skin so soft at the churchyard sale. I think I told y'all this story one year, but if I didn't, I'm going to tell it. And if I did, I'm going to tell it again. I'll never, I'll never forget the winery I was raised in. We had prayer meetings for 45 minutes before every church service. On Sunday nights, they started, and when the Lord started using me, the old preachers in the church said, now if the Lord's going to use you, Kevin, you got to come to prayer meeting. Why did I feel some people back up on that right there? Well, I'm gifted. Oh, hush, go pray. We don't care how many gifts of the Spirit you got. If you can't pray for 45 minutes, you're not qualified to be a bishop, and you're certainly not qualified to preach. Sit down and get a prayer language and pray. Sorry. Here we go. The apostles getting ready to come out. We got all these people prancing around, handing out business cards, developing websites, telling everybody how many gifts of the Spirit you have. We don't care. I want to see your tears and your breakthrough in a prayer closet. I want to see the scars of survival where you came out of hell's kitchen and not one hair of your head was singed and the smell of smoke was not even on you. I'd go to prayer meeting 45 minutes before church. I was raised in a winery. They'd get in there, start rocking. And I thought, what are they doing? They're rocking. But you know what I started doing? Rocking. You know why I rocked? Because whatever they were doing was causing sick people to get healed. So I thought, well, if rocking works for them, rocking works for me. And then they'd start singing. I was raised in a spiritual winery. They started singing. They couldn't hold a note if they had a handle on it, but they didn't care. They'd just start singing, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. They'd start singing, glory, glory, hallelujah, since I laid. This is in a prayer meeting. We haven't even started church yet, and they're already singing. We walked out of that prayer room. Nobody had to beg people to praise God. I want to tell you something else I'm sick of. Begging people to praise God when they, I'm going to walk around. Trying to be a statesman. I'm trying to be a statesman, but I feel like John the Baptist. I'm tired of coming to church and hearing people say, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's an indictment on the death in the pew that the pulpit has to keep begging people to praise God. I want to tell you, if you look at me funny, I'm still going to praise him. If you help me, I'm still going to praise him. If you, if you do it with me, we'll do it together. But you can pass notes and tweet about it. I'm going to bless the Lord. It's who I am. Praise is what I do. Today, I was raising, raising a winery. We was in a foot washing service one night. Women on the left, men on the right, because we were holiness. And we was afraid if a man saw a woman's foot, they'd get turned on. Let me help you understand something. If a woman's foot turns you on, brother, you got a demon. <laughs> and you need deliverance tonight. <laughs> Have some of that wine. Oh, what toenails. 
Sorry. I'm on sabbatical. Don't hold it against me. Listen, we was having foot washing the women on the left, men on the right. Sister Pat had hair down to the ground. She had the ability. I watched it every Sunday. With her left hand, she shook a maraca. With her right hand, she shook a tambourine. And they bought her a harmonica holder for her head. And it looked like this. And when the Holy Ghost would hit her, it looked like Cousin It playing a harmonica, shaking a maraca, and shaking a tambourine. And one night we were having foot washing. She was married, thank you Lord. She was married to a man named Tommy. Brother Tommy played the organ in my church. One night he was preaching. In the middle of his sermon, he said, Howley, his teeth flew out. He caught him in midair, threw him back in his mouth and said, Hallelujah. One night we were having a foot wash. Slap somebody tell him he was raised in a winery. One night we were having foot washing. When the sister Pat's teeth flew out of her mouth into the foot washing bowl, the women started screaming and the men thought it was the Holy Ghost and we went into a three-night revival and we just kept on drinking new wine. Well, I would never go to a church like that. Oh no, you'd stay stiff and you would stay dead and you would stay broke and you would stay depressed. Not me. I've had a taste of this new wine. I'm not going back to religion. I want another drink. Does anybody want another drink in Nashville? I was raised in a winery. I'm thirsty for new wine. I got ruined from the domesticated, watered down beverage that we've been serving to society. Come to our growing, cool, relevant, politically correct church so we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya around the golden calf. And that is why this text I read to you tonight bothers me. Because in order to have wine, you got to have a vineyard. I'm concerned for the church that we think we can have the wine, but not tend the vineyard. So the king, the leader, came to Naboth and looks at his vineyard that, by the way, is hundreds of years old. And he sees that vineyard. And he does not have any interest in the grapes or the wine. He's only interested in taking that vineyard because of its convenience. It's close to my house. Which leads me to another problem. We have people who want us to give away our vineyard so that we can accommodate their desire for convenience. It got quiet quickly. I want the wine, Bishop, as long as I get a drink by 11.45 a.m. on Sunday. Y'all don't like me, but I'm going home tonight. I'm going back to the sand, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm not. I'm... 
We want the vineyard. Pardon me. We want the wine. But we want it if it's convenient. And so what happens, I'm going to talk to leaders for a few minutes. There's a whole lot of leaders that stood up tonight. I want to talk to people who are being offered a price to sell the vineyard to someone who only wants what you have to accommodate the convenience they're looking for. Ahab represents a leader, and I have discovered that it can be a leader of many different facets. It could be a governmental leader. Oh, I'm going to get here right now. I'm going to go there right now. Because some people in this, th this building tonight and watching me online, you think the government is your God. I'm walking around now. The old sister in my church says, walk heavy, Bishop. I think I will. We want government to bail us out, prop us up, sustain us in famine. I want to tell you right now, government is not my God. Somebody in this room tonight didn't even sow a seed because you have more confidence in Uncle Sam than you do in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But there are some people in this room tonight who stopped living by the dictates of a government and they started testifying with their tithe that the government is not my source. My boss ain't even my source. My job ain't even my source. At the end of the day, I don't serve El Chipo. I serve El Shaddai. Somebody gotta make up your mind tonight who your God is. And government will never be my God. I feel like I'm at home. So let me go ahead and get this out of my system. You better get this thing with the kingdom straightened out in your mind real quick because we're getting ready to enter the most divided political season in the history of a nation. Wake up! If you thought 2020 was hell on earth, you've seen nothing yet. There's about to be a political pull on the people of the kingdom. And unless you stick with the man in the middle, you're going to wind up being made a fool of. My hope will never be in the left. My hope will never be in the right. My hope is in the man who hung in the middle. And to hell with the spirit of political division that is ripping our nation apart. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Shout, 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 shout. Sit please. Ahab was a leader. He could have been a governmental leader. He could have been a cultural idol. Sports star. A musical icon who came to a spiritual leader and said, what's your price? Are you selling your vineyard? We don't sell things that are precious to us. You know, you know when we sell stuff Bishop Garlington, Devin and I sell stuff when we don't need it anymore. Oh yes, we will have garage sales. My trash is your treasure. Get her done. <laughs> we have a garage sale and we sell things, watch, we sell things we don't need no more which is why some of you are entertaining selling your vineyard. Because you don't think you need the wine anymore. So I can get rid of the vineyard. I don't need the Holy Ghost Church. I need a cool, hip church. See where that gets you when hell breaks loose. What do you choose a church for? I love the light show. See how that helps your marriage. 
Do you know the other reason we sell things, Devin and I, when we sell things? Because a newer version comes out. We want a newer version, which is why some of you are contemplating selling your vineyard. You're looking for something else. You know, my mom cooks the greatest fried chicken in the history of fried chicken cookers. Bishop, when she cooks fried chicken on Sunday afternoon, the chicken is so good that my tongue comes out of my mouth and slaps me on the side of the face. On Tuesday, that same chicken that has been put into a Ziploc baggie, placed in the refrigerator, I go looking for a snack, and there is Mama's chicken. Cold, solidified, but my hunger says, take the chance. <laughs> so I remove it from the bag and I put it in the microwave and I punch 35 seconds and I pull it out expecting mama's fried chicken and the devil has gotten in the chicken. <laughs> but hear me, but hear me, but hear me, but hear me. Just because that leftover isn't good doesn't mean mama needs a new recipe. It doesn't mean mom needs a new recipe. It just means I need her to drop by and cook a fresh batch of the same thing that's always been good. And there are too many people trying to change the recipe in the house of the Lord. And I want to tell you something. This vineyard is not for sale. I'm almost done. But I'm not yet. Ahab said to Naboth, what will you take for it? What's the price on your vineyard? Is it a bigger crowd? And, 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 and I am shocked at the authenticity and the vulnerability and the truthfulness of this wicked king. He actually tells Naboth, I'm going to change the use of this property. It won't be a vineyard anymore. Why not? Because he don't even know how to tend a vineyard. Do you know what he wants to do? He wants to turn the vineyard into a vegetable garden, which is what some preachers listening to me tonight are trying to do to the church. They want to turn the vineyard into a vegetable garden. Why would you want to turn the vineyard into a vegetable garden? Because it's easy to show off vegetables. Don't you want to come see my veggies? Don't you want to come see how big my pumpkins and my watermelons are? Don't you want to come see my garden? We're sick of your garden. We're sick of the garden. We want one. This is interesting. Let me take you into a deep dive in the Hebrew. This word vegetable garden used here in 1 Kings 21 is only used a few times in the entire Old Testament. The first time it is used in the 11th chapter of Deuteronomy, the 10th verse, where Moses on his deathbed tells Israel, God said through the prophet Moses, the land that I'm taking you to is not like the land I just brought you out of. The land you came out of is a land, listen to this. This is in Deuteronomy 11 verse 10. The land I just brought you out of is of Egypt is where you drug your heel and you planted your own garden. Same Hebrew word that Ahab used. Ahab said to Naboth, I want to make this vineyard a vegetable garden. It is the same kind of vegetable garden that Pharaoh made Israel make in Egypt. What's the point? Religious leaders always want to take you back to what God brought you out of. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, Moshe Kaprazi, Rabbi. 
Be careful when you hear any religious leader start talking about dragging your heel backwards. We're going back. We're going back. Oh, no, I'm not. As for me and the Wallaces, we're going forward. Ahab said, I want to turn it into a vegetable garden. And here's Naboth standing before a king who has the power to kill him. And he looks square in the eyes of the leader. When offered an untold sum of money for the vineyard or another vineyard, which is what some preachers do. When they run into some encounter of some kind of problem in their vineyard, they start looking for another vineyard. Okay, it got quite weird and all kind of tightened up right then. You better stay in your vineyard. Because if you've got authority in your vineyard, the devil is going to back up in the name of Jesus. Let me get there. I'll give you an untold sum of money. Tell me what it's worth to you. I'll give you another piece of property. I just want your vineyard. And Naboth looks at him. And he says in the Wallace Unauthorized Translation, what are you talking about? Can you imagine the look on Naboth's face when Ahab says, what do you want for it? And Naboth is like, what? God forbid that I should sell my inheritance to you. Wait a minute, because inheritance is a loaded word. He saw it as more than a piece of ground. He saw it more than a parcel of acreage. He saw it as an inheritance. Watch. It was an inheritance given by his fathers to be released to his sons. If Naboth were to sell that vineyard, it would have dishonored the fathers who gave it to him. And it would have destroyed the sons who were coming behind him. Let me tell all of y'all something. If nobody had come tonight, I would have come for you. Where'd he go? And you and all of y'all on this stage and every one of these sons and daughters that drove up from Chattanooga because my life now, I have no desire to find another stage. I want to steward the inheritance that fathers gave me so that when I give it to them, they inherit a vineyard that is still producing wine. I am sick of preaching. It's been on me for three weeks. This entire sabbatical, I have found myself weeping at times because I see the hand of the Lord on preachers that God used in a season, but they stop thinking about the field for those coming in the future, and they refuse to think of the field their fathers gave them, and they thought about it being the field of their own. And when they were on the mountain, they didn't have time for anybody. But when they crashed, it was as if God took names out of the mouths of Christians. It's like names evaporated overnight. Household names, Bishop. And it's like they evaporated. Why? Because they sold their vineyard. Won't you hear me? If I never get called to go preach another conference, I will sit in Chattanooga in that seat of authority God has given me. I'll weep tears on an altar and I'll be satisfied pouring into that generation, honoring those who've gone before me and preparing those who come behind me and I will be the happiest man alive. 
I get no greater joy than taking them. My wife gets no greater joy than taking them around this world and saying, let's go find the wine in Ireland. Let's go find the wine in New York City. Let's go find the wine in Washington, D.C. Some of you looking at me like I'm crazy. I found out wine is in Chattanooga. Wine is in Nashville. But wine is in New York. Wine is in Washington, D.C. Everywhere we've went, we've tasted new wine. I'm through with this. Julian, hear me. I know some of you think I should stop this sermon before I get to the next portion of scripture because it seems very anticlimactic to end a message with the death of a faithful man. Why not end right here, Bishop? Why do you have to tell everybody that Naboth died? I didn't want to. I really, honestly, I, I told the Lord, I have no revelation on this until I got into prayer. And the Lord said to me, there are some things worth dying for. And I came to this conclusion this week in prayer. I'd rather die honoring the vineyard that was given to me than to live watching a leader inherit my ground and turning it into a vegetable field. Naboth died. But you know what I found out about death? You can't kill a dead man. <laughs> she took his body. She didn't kill Naboth. Naboth was already dead. Some of you are already dead. No, some of you ain't. You'd tuck, tell, and run if a man walked in here with a gun and said, if you're a Christian, I'll shoot you right now. But there's some of you, you're already dead to that stuff. If you live to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, I don't know if I understand what you're saying. Let me tell you what Paul told the, the, the church of Galatia. He said, for I am crucified. That's death. I am crucified. That's death. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. You can actually get to the place where you're dead to this world. You're dead to the flesh. You're dead to the demands of an evil, godless, anti-Jesus culture. You can become dead to that and alive in Christ and be oblivious to the threat of the enemy. So what happened? He said it's not for sale. Touch your neighbor, tell him this vineyard is not for sale. <laughs> Will you please stop talking about abortion? Nope. This vineyard is not for sale. Well, if you quit talking about abortion, I'll come to your church. Let me help you find five compromising churches down the road that'll accommodate your little it's all about convenience. Sit down. I got like six minutes. I'm looking for 10 o'clock. Can you please stand still? Nope. My ADD is given by God to get on your nerves. I will not sell this vineyard, said Naboth. And he went home. Ahab went home sullen, displeased, depressed. He sat in his room and a king pouted like a baby. And Jezebel walked in. Oh, God. And she looked at the king and she mocked him for his weak leadership. And she said to him, if you want the vineyard, I'll make it happen. So she sets up this scenario where the town comes together and she gets two scoundrels, the Bible calls them. Well, the Bible is so easy and meek. No, God will call it spade a spade. 
was two scoundrels. And the reason there are two is because in the Old Testament, the law, it only permitted death by stoning if there were more than one witness. The fact that there were two lying witnesses reveals the depravity of that generation. And if you think our generation's any better, look at how they treat righteous men in the news media. One liar stands up and another one jumps on the bandwagon and they all start lying on... And they stone a man who would not sell the vineyard. And he died... And he laid in a pool of blood. And we can have all of the Jezebel fasts and prayer meetings and we can scream against Jezebel all we want. But God did not deal with Jezebel until she took the life of a man who would not sell the vineyard. I'm going to tell you why Jezebel is defeated. Because there's still men who will not sell the vineyard. We command Jezebel. Listen, I prayed again. I've done 14 day Jezebel fast, breaking the spirit of Jezebel. I believe in all that. But let me tell you how God acts. God waits on Jezebel to pick on the righteous who have not sold the vineyard. And when Jezebel puts her hands on the righteous who will not sell the vineyard, God says, I don't care if you have a prayer meeting or not. I'm getting ready to kill Jezebel, everybody who slept with her, and all of her children. Read your Bible. Are you saying Jezebel is not real? Oh, no. Jezebel is for real. And you know what I found out? She's only in operation where there's been toleration. Do you have Bible? Yes, brother flip-flop, I do. Jesus walked through the seven golden candlesticks of the church. And he came to a city called Thyatira. And he told Thyatira, I see your charity. I see your service. I see your love for your community. But I got something wrong with you. You have tolerated the spirit of Jezebel. She slipped into the Sunday school department. She seduced your teachers. She's sleeping with your deacons. And you let her sleep. And you let her teach. And you let her howl. And you let her hiss. And if you keep letting her do that, I will cast her into a bed of affliction and I will kill all her children. This is so heavy. Why did God bring me off sabbatical to holler like this about this woman? I'll tell you why. Preachers are leaving the ministry. Ministry marriages are falling apart. Churches are turning into country clubs because Jezebel has been tolerated. I feel the anointing on me right now to tell you that the only way Jezebel operates is if leadership tolerates that presence. But the moment you say you will not be permitted to operate in this house, I tell you that spirit will have to be broken and the power of Jezebel will be brought to nothing. Jezebel is dead. Jesus is alive. Shout and slap three people and tell them this vineyard is not for sale. Somebody wave your hands and get interested. This vineyard is. I feel the Holy Ghost telling me to tell somebody that the word for tolerate in Revelation 2. 
It is the Greek word, eao. It means to permit. And Jesus said she's operating because you've allowed her and permitted her to work. But I hear the Holy Ghost saying she will not have the authority to operate in your house, your life, your ministry. When you get fed up with that diabolical Jezebelic spirit, you will get an authority on you that comes from another world. I need someone to slap three more people and tell them this vineyard is not for sale to hell with the spirit of Jezebel. May she and all who have slept with her be thrown into a bed of affliction let let God arise and the enemies of God be scattered I I, I'm done stand I studied about Thyatira this week And I discovered something, Bishop Garlington. Thyatira is known first and foremost for its beautiful purple fabric. But I also discovered this week, Thyatira was known for its wine. Jezebel always goes to the place where the wine's flowing. She wants your wine. Can you please calm down? Shut up, Jezebel. Can you please not talk in tongues? Shut up, Jezebel. Can you not shout so loud? Shut up, Jezebel. Can we not have three-hour services? Shut up, Jezebel. Can you not have healing lines? Shut up, Jezebel. Can you not have marriage seminars? Shut up, Jezebel. Can we get another pastor? Shut up, Jezebel. Can we tear the church down? In the name of Jesus, shut up, Jezebel. I need somebody to run. Jezebel is dead. Jesus is alive. Jezebel is dead. Jesus is alive. Jezebel is dead! Jesus!